Another delay. We were getting tired of this. Making our way to the dining car, we hoped to find some sort of respite from our seats and the monotony of the outside scenery. While we weren't the only ones who had this bright idea, we were at least happy to see an old friend had been sharing the rails with us this entire time. Settling down in a booth, we caught up and shared our impressions of the princess from Paradise Island and the friendly neighborhood webhead. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. And we are joined by another detective, a uh, uh, favorite spe- special guest detective today. Koi, how are you doing, man? I like being a spesh. I don't yeah, know what that you're spesh. sounds fun. It's like fetch. But... Into it. Uh... <laughs> Stop trying to make I'm spesh happen. Oh my fletch. god, fletch, yes. Is the answer Fletch? Yes, it is Fletch. We're doing good. We're a minute in. Fletch has been mentioned, so I feel like running the path. Oh man, God, we just got to mention the Undertaker at least once, and I think I've hit all my bingo cards for podcasting. Ooh, there's the there's the not at Comic Con free space we've all managed to muster. Ooh, yeah, we get that. That's that's that is the extra. Okay, we got to do like two or three more, and I think we have to do one in joke from the podcast, and then one in joke from the last podcast, and then something right, really right. weird. I think we're good. We can do it. I respect it. All right. Wait, I do actually already have one from the last podcast okay correct me if i'm wrong the last time that we met guardians of the galaxy 2 hadn't already come out yet right that is correct Correct. i believe so they literally did make the bat and the furious because that movie was all about family 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 (laughs) (laughs) and kurt russell was in it oh oh, wow oh yeah yeah okay because kurt russell's in both of them we did that. We just did it. All right, so that's one That's one space. All right, we're good. So James Gunn, man. James Gunn took the Bat and the Furious and ran with it. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. And he filmed the entire thing in like two months. All right, cool. Yeah. Perfect. Dude, what'd you guys think of that movie? So I still haven't seen it. That's totally oh, wow. fine, though. I, I just, I did, stars didn't align for me, but I know, I hear very good things about it. I'm, I'm glad that it did well. So that's always good. But, uh, I don't know about you. I was not psyched, actually. Like, very much enjoyable in the moment, but it tried to make me care about the dad and the surrogate dad. And it just didn't... He sold kids into slavery, and it didn't redeem him. He was still the bad guy. It didn't do anything that said, oh yeah, you're actually, you know, a chill guy. He sold kids into slavery until he found out what was happening. He was, uh, it was like the Diet Coke of slave traders. <laughs> That's a thing, I think. Just one calorie, not enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Eh. So, you obviously have problems with child slavery. <laughs> Some of us may have less qualms about that. Clearly, Ego does have I mean, less it, it wasn't even the child slavery. It was the fact that I never felt like he was redeemed into hey, you were a good dad. Like, he was still portrayed... Even the points where it was trying to say, no, he was actually a good dad, it's like, no, he was still being used on jobs. I didn't see any moment of, like, compassion. There wasn't any, like, okay, I taught you how to throw a ball or something. It was just... I, I still got the sense you were just... I still treated you like shit as a child laborer and thief. There you go. If that had changed, the movie would have been 50% better for me it, wow that's a strong i mean i felt enough for, like because it was michael rooker but that's like just a casting thing like i just love michael like rooker so like for me i was like i give a shit like michael <laughs> rooker just like you put michael rooker in something and i'm usually gonna cry if something bad happens so who else has he played because i didn't recognize the actor matt's bad at the name game i'm oh bad. gotcha uh michael rooker of let's see he was in mall rats uh which is a deep deep comic cut uh <laughs> yeah the, the chocolate-covered pretzel boss uh, in Mallrats. Um, <laughs> who else? Man, I can't think of, like, Michael Rooker's career. I just remember, like, seeing... He does, like, all James Gunn movies, so that's kind of, like, where my intro is beyond Kevin Smith. Um, he's a that guy, but he's a real good one. Nice. Oh, he's one of those returning that guy actors? Yeah, like, you'd recognize him with, like, not blue skin, most likely. That works. Now, a great comic movie to tangent into your world, Wonder Woman. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we, we did an episode previously about this, with, which was just the two of us doing the Wonder Woman 
uh, breakdown because we did a Wonder Woman episode uh, along with it, so we kind of meshed it. But I, I'm actually very curious to hear your take on it and everything like that. I purposely not watched your like reviews of it because I wanted to like have a conversation with you about it and like get the full like natural progression of your your enjoyment. Well, I had a very very cool thing with Wonder Woman where I went into it as a casual fan. Because I've never had a good, like, I love Batman. I have my Chris Nolan films. I love uh, the DC Universe as a, as a casual fan. Not a tourist level, but casual. Like, someone that visits the city. I'm not, like, looking around, but I'm certainly not well-versed. So Wonder Woman was my first time that I got to go into a movie as someone that knew the main characters but didn't know the Easter eggs. So I got to have the experience I think the average moviegoer does where I was like, that's a reference I get! And then, like, know that there were some I didn't get but still be like, I think this is cool! Uh, <laughs> so I had a very cool time because I usually go into Marvel movies so invested and so knowledgeable that I like, oh, that means that, that means that, this is going to happen, oh, this is going to happen. And, like, it's distracting the first viewing. This felt like the second viewing of a first time. So I had the adrenaline of the first viewing, but also the second viewing's comfort. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So So I really dug it, man. That's awesome. So are there Easter eggs that you have not found the the answer to or that you would ask us about how, how important is that like the team are they all like well versed in the comics or they're, like the, they're not the... a thing at all oh see i wouldn't i didn't know yeah. that. i was like are they the howling commandos of dc they, they might as I... well have been but then you have sergeant rock which is oh, yeah. dc and sergeant rock was a just a literal a character literally a character that was a world war ii sergeant i do kind of wonder if at some point they introduced versions of those characters yeah. but nothing that we recognized and i haven't heard anyone call out oh these three guys were these characters yeah and and for all the stuff they did for marsden and all that jazz these guys were not golden age we haven't seen mm-hmm. them in any of the stuff that we've been nope. reading so first of all we love them they were cool i thought they were interesting and fun and they didn't take up too much screen time to make them too overbearing for being original characters, but they were just enough flavor to be like, you know what, that was a neat little thing to show that like man's world is diverse and weird and different, not just angry war fighting all the time, which I thought was nice. They felt like like I was wondering if there was like a war path and a you know like the guy from Train Spotting and like yeah, you know yeah. I was like these guys feel like comic characters so the fact that they're not is actually a testament to the writing style that they felt like comic characters without being distracting. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm just going to bring this up now because I literally just earlier today watched the new Spider-Man, and how gutsy is it that they invented a best friend? For Peter Parker. I don't think he is invented. I think he's Miles he, Morales' character. Not Spider-Man. only... He's what? literally a character from another universe, dude. Yeah, he's, they just brought like, him in. That's, that's right. Genki. Never mind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so so Genki is Miles Morales' best friend. Like, Miles Morales is the new Spider-Man. And the mm-hmm. cool thing they did was they made him relevant to the 60s Ditko run while also being relevant to the 2010s Miles Morales run. But they named him Ned Leeds... And Ned Leeds turns into the Hobgoblin in Spider-Man comics. So they planted a seed <laughs> of this guy's going to be the Hobgoblin oh, by wow. way of best friend. But what they did that was really cool for me was they turned the Goblin legacy on its head. By You guys have both seen it, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Uh, they turned the Goblin legacy on its head by having Liz Allen be the bait and switch. By having the, the dad figure be, instead of Harry Osborn be the vulture and then they still got to play with the pseudo glider with the wings they got to play with that car scene it literally was the most spider-man movie that could have spider-man to surprise fans because when he opened the door i was like and like i like couldn't hang man i was like a i I was like an inappropriate child in that screening like (laughs) i embarrassed myself in ways i didn't think possible in that like the first time i saw it i like stood up and clapped like like it was it was special man um but Wonder Woman had so many moments that I felt like must have been moments like that for Wonder Woman fans yeah. that weren't in my brain as a comic panel. So, like, those two movies, I'm glad we're talking about both of them because Spider-Man had me being like, that's from that panel from Amazing Number 14. And Wonder Woman had me like, I wonder if I should read this. <laughs> so there's a lot of things that she said and that were said in that movie that are big hints that are huge drops for what i think they're going to do so she kept saying love now obviously that's a callback to marston's entire ideology of uh, loving submission and the power of love but 
Wonder Woman later during the War of the Light, which is a huge Green Lantern storyline, becomes a Star Sapphire. And the Star Sapphires are powered by love. So it's a little bit of a throw that's hint cool. to be like, yeah, that's her Lantern core when she once that happens. Um, the God Killer line. Um, Darkseid is the god of Apocalypse. Ah. So uh, the uh, between Apocalypse and New Genesis, which are very Jack Kirby things that he created for the DC Universe back when I guess he was like quote unquote on loan or like cheating on Stan Lee, um, he wrote a lot of the cosmic stuff for DC. So you have you know Dark Side, New Genesis, uh, and they have these characters called the New Gods of Apocalypse, the New Gods of New Genesis, or the Old Gods of Apocalypse and New Genesis. Dark Side who they set up in Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman is the guy I'm assuming is going to be the villain in Justice League based off of the bad guys they're fighting in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Which to mm-hmm. me means that Wonder Woman is going to have an integral part in fighting Darkseid because he's technically quote unquote a god and she's the god killer, which I think is cool. And that gives her, if we were talking about it, like, a sort of agency where, yeah, Superman could, like, fight him to a standstill, but Wonder Woman's the one who has to land the final blow. What's going to be interesting is, since Darkseid and and Thanos look so similar, yeah. Uh, yeah. is, like, the average day-to-day fan, like, or even the non-fan, like, the people that don't know comics are going to be like, hey, wait a second, that guy, uh... And that's going to be tricky, how they have to reinterpret that character. Yeah, as long as they don't do Galactus from the Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, I'm cool. You know space clouds? You wanna you want a space cloud? Because yeah, uh, we got your space clouds. Is that really how that Yeah, went? it's a giant space cloud. Or oh. Parallax from uh, the Green Lantern movie, which was just one of the Guardians with like a gigantic yellow cloud behind. It was like, that was the, the decade of space clouds, and now we're in the decade of uh, weirdly humanoid green uh, gray monsters. So, but would you like a hole in the sky? Because I hear they got some extras. Oh, we all have holes in the sky. I mean, look at the Suicide, suicide Squad suicide space squad. hole, man. My that was God. dumb. Oh, yeah. That didn't make any sense. Like, I'm watching that movie. I'm like, why is why do we have this? Anyway, boy bands aside. Um, <laughs> oh, there we go. There's our deep cut from our podcast. Uh, oh. so, so we get that going. Um, also, the establishment of the Greek gods is an establishment uh, footnote for Aquaman. Because... Well, the, well, um, the Trident is sometimes referred to as the Trident of Poseidon. Ah, that's dope. I so like they're establishing that the Greek pantheon is big for the DC universe. Which, which is I, neat. I've always respected DC as gods. Uh, we talked about this in the last podcast. Yeah. Oh, another reference. Hey! Um, gods. We're, we're cycling back, checking off the boxes. Um, <laughs> the Greek god aspect versus the underdog aspect. And that was the beauty of Wonder Woman with like juxtaposed against Spider-Man is there's never been quite that level of underdog Spider-Man movie. Like, other movies have been great. I'm not a hater on any Spider-Man. I love them all. But this one was truly, like, they stole his backpack. Like, this movie was, like, a deep-cut underdog. And then, like, you could go walk into the next theater over and watch Wonder Woman, like, have a full-on god fight in the third act. So, like, I really liked that this summer really played to the strengths of Marvel and DC without alienating either side. And they also made her combat just look so phenomenal. Like oh, the, the choreography was sexy. Yeah, it was. It was powerful. It didn't. It wasn't Scarlett Johansson Black Widow fighting. It was Patty Jenkins and a lot of money, and it was John Watts and a lot of money. And I think that really showed that, like, yeah, there's the studio problem of controlling first-time directors too much, but it's also like these guys have creative skill enough to shape this world, and they did. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's talks now of Patty Jenkins and Jeff Johns working on Superman. Ooh, Ooh sign me up. So. There, I still there's... want Mel Gibson. I know yeah. it's never going to happen, but man, Mel Gibson's Suicide Squad sounds dope. Yeah, <laughs> I would. I I would be interested in seeing that. However, that I think it was just announced today, Shazam is the next movie to start mm-hmm. filming right after Aquaman. Yeah, and they got uh, that director from uh, Annabelle and something else. Uh, Lights Out is uh, is doing the doing the jazz. Okay, so that's we're not familiar with those movies, so we don't, we're not sure if that's a good pick. They're doing the old, hey, you made a movie that cost $12, make $100. Here's some more money. Uh, okay, the, well, there you, you know, go. That's, that's the studio. I mean, it makes sense. Like, you want to make a movie that's part of a – if it's going to be a piece of a puzzle, you have to have a certain amount of control. So, like, right. I get what they're doing. It's just they better have a great pitch like John Watts did, man. Watts had, like, a full, like, animatic prepared. Nice. <laughs> um, and they also – they're going to get The Rock, too, for Shazam because he wants yep. to play Black Adam, so – 
I mean, how, if The Rock says, sign me up, you tend to write that script pretty quick. Right. How familiar are you? You're, I, I'm assuming not at all familiar with Shazam. I mean, Shazam's weird, man. Shazam's one of those characters I'm always like, okay, if I was going to pitch this to a studio, like, what is my move? Like, that right. is a weird one. And it's it's been interesting because we, uh, we've we talked about it a little bit. I mean, because we actually just did a, an episode, I want to say, a few episodes ago about Shazam specifically, who back then was Captain Marvel and then mm-hmm. before that was Captain Thunder. You're going to have to have three main actors because you're going to have to have the villain, you're going to have to have the kid, and then you're going to have to have the guy who plays Shazam. Right. And the guy who plays Shazam has to look like a 30-year-old version of the kid. And he's got to be able to act like a kid in his own body. And it's also got to not be weirdly comical. Mm-hmm. It's got to be, like, kind of sincere. Like there's, I, think, I think that's the key thing, is the level of sincerity. It's not necessarily childish actions so much as a childish optimism. Right, or well, that, childlike mind. That's the, yeah, like, the, the goal... I, my goal as a human being is to have a childlike sense of wonder without ever coming off as childish. Right. And that's what I've always liked about Shazam, was childlike versus childish... And that's like, I mean, that's The Rock, man. Like, I, I know he's playing the villain, yeah. but like, if you look at The Rock, that dude is is a pure bundle of energy and optimism. Right. And I think what they'll do is they'll do something interesting. I I don't know how good it will be, but I, I spoke about this too. Is that now I'm okay with Justice League being medium to mediocre, purely because they were shooting at the same time they were doing Wonder Woman. And now that they see how good Wonder Woman is doing, they're going to... And they've already talked about changing up some of the stuff that they're doing in Aquaman based off of Wonder Woman. So they're kind of reacting to the response. So I'm like, okay, Justice League can be a little bit tonally off purely because they were doing it at the same time. They didn't have time to do reshoots. I get that. I'm going to allow them to be like a CB movie purely because they were putting all their, you know, eggs in the Wonder Woman basket and it totally worked. Now Mm -hmm. that they've seen that... Let's, you know, see what they do with Aquaman. Really interested in that. Speaking of, if you haven't read Aquaman yet, I will drive down to L.A. and I will give you my Aquaman comics because... I I have read the first trade and I loved it. I, uh I'm a man of my word. I hunted it down. It was dope. Right. Uh, it was just, it was so real, dude. Like, the, the character felt more like a guy you could run into than I ever expected. Right. Um, so, did you read the new 52 trade with the Jeff, with Jeff Johns? I read the first volume of Jeff Johns, the one we talked about with that great twist in the first issue. I don't uh, talk to fish. Yeah, that. I read, because that was literally how I went to the comic store. I was like, yeah. I'm describing this. Uh, <laughs> which was, once again, like Wonder Woman, where I was like, I know comics, but I feel like a guy that's just like, 12 cents? What? Like, it was, yeah. a, weird, uh, it was a weird journey for me. Uh, the, the best thing I've enjoyed about, okay, to slightly name drop, uh, I met Zack Snyder since we've had a podcast. Okay. And the coolest thing I got out about meeting Zack Snyder was I now completely understand his DC universe to a level that I love them more. The oh, dude cool. is the coolest dude to a level that if you're in a meeting with him, I could see being like, yeah, it makes sense. Just here's some money. Just make it happen. Like, the dude <laughs> exudes this, this quiet confidence and this like air of like almost McConaughey charm where you're like, oh, I want to be that cool. Here's some money. And, like, after meeting him, I understand his perspective more on Batman, on Superman, on, like, a shape of the universe. And it was really weird because I've never had that with a director. Like, I've worked I've worked with and for a lot of the best directors alive. And I've always been like, I respect you before and after. Zack Snyder, I was like, I respect you before and after, but now I get it. Like, he was uh. – a, it's a different – it's like putting on, like, polarized glasses when you go skiing. Like, the dude – has such a strong perspective that it changes everything. We'll need to have an off-the-record discussion about that at some point then. It was, it was really cool, man. I need it. I need to know things. Um, but yeah, just, gl- just, just know that he's the coolest dude, and like everything about him as a person makes his movies like less chaotic feeling. Because you're like, oh, that fills in that gap, because Zack Snyder's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like that. Right. I like it. Uh, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll roll with that. Do you remember Johnny Bravo? Yes, I the, do. Yes, I do remember how cool Johnny Bravo. Johnny Bravo is. You're like, that's a choice I'd make because Johnny Bravo. That was Zack Snyder for me. I was like, yeah, like it was just something about him. <laughs> All right, okay, that works. Well, I'm. Uh, that makes me feel good about possibly the direction that Aquaman will go in because yeah, I, I know he wasn't directly involved with it, but it was still kind of in that same universe where they're all kind of like trying to feel each other 
in the same theme, uh, which also makes me feel good about Justice League. Then hopefully that uh, I had such a good experience. I rewatched BVS. Like I was like, I'm gonna go rewatch this, see if I like it, and I liked it more. It was weird, man. It's one of the most surreal experiences I've had in meeting a human. All right, well then, then that might have to happen for me then. Uh, I I (laughs) everyone just watched BVS, and I would be wonderfully fascinated in this illumination yeah because he just he just watched bbs <laughs> he still hasn't seen man of steel and i keep telling him he needs to watch it because i'm like look you i was like bottom line you need to watch it now because of the universe because you liked wonder woman i was like you need to now watch man of steel just to like start knowing what this universe is going to be about and just to say like oh yes i if they reference something from it you know what it's talking about but it's it's interesting because like he's seen he saw Suicide Squad before he saw BVS. You've had a journey, man. Uh, yeah, so like, I, I'm a diehard Marvelite, and I think that Man of Steel is not underrated, but I do think it's overhated. Yeah, hmm. it's definitely overhated. It's not as bad as people say it is. It's definitely not amazing. It's not. Um, it's got some of the best visuals of any comic movie. And oh, full BVS stop. was full stop. beautiful. Yeah, no question about and, that. Snyder has always been okay tangent so the first time that i was really conscious of snyder uh as like a repeat performance because he also did uh 300 right right mm, yes so 300 and then uh watchman i uh, true yeah i guess but uh the one that really stands out to me is i can't remember the name of it it's the it's the girls in the insane asylum oh, sucker punch sucker punch, sucker punch. I loved Sucker Punch, partly because of the soundtrack, but also just the visuals and being able to switch between settings. Like, Snyder's vision for the cinematography, that was amazing. Well, I think the uh, I think the thing about the Zack Snyder-verse is that it's... And literally, this was my opening salvo in the last show we did with you guys, was that it's all under his perspective, and that's why it works for me, is because it's not a world that I'm versed in, so when things are changed... I'm not as invested. So that's why I think I had such a special time after after talking about it because it changed all my perspective to even more like, oh, I get it. Um, so that's why I'm curious how Wonder Woman reshapes things because mm-hmm. this is like four movies into a series now. Like, how, how are you going to restructure your entire pantheon? I'm, I'm excited for it. I think the Aquaman we're going to see now is the Aquaman you've just read. You're right, which was, dude, Jeff Johns, man. Like, Jesus Okay, so what I want to give you now, or I want to suggest for you, is Batman Earth 1. Okay. Which we also kind of mentioned in the last podcast, too, but we just did an episode about that. And Jeff Johns again. I want you to kind of see, like, what he can do with characters, and then I think he will become more and more of a DC initiate. But I've already inducted you into the Church of Aquaman, so really I don't really care what else you read in your life. Your work work here is done. I've gotten my conch shell and my sand dollar. Um... But we just recently picked up DC Rebirth Aquaman. And that's Dan Abnett. I don't know if you've ever read anything by Dan Abnett, but he used to do, I think he still does, Warhammer 40k novels. And those are high sci-fi, lots of big fancy Latin names, tons of huge war and politics. It's it's sci-fi Game of Thrones, except based off of a tabletop game that only, like, you know, a good 7% of a 10% of a population play in the world. And... He made this ridiculously detailed, fleshed out version of Atlantis and has this weird dichotomy of Aquaman as the ruler of two-thirds of the planet who has the eye of the entire world and the UN and is considered a hostile leader by the US government and speaks like he's a king, but when he's with his wife, he sounds like he's from Maine and just like (laughs) some dude and like they banter back and forth and she and she suddenly is now like you know the high and mighty one and she's you know she always refers to him in such a loving and uh respectful manner because he's the king and it's also his wife but they joke around like he gets in a a tussle with superman at one point and she chides him and she goes you know do you think you're going to get into a fight with him again he's like i don't know i really hope not she's like is it because superman hits very hard and he goes it is because superman hits very hard <laughs> and she goes i think i hit harder than superman he's like i don't think that's true at all <laughs> and, it's, and it's this little cute like home uh loving relationship amidst this gigantic global uh conflict that he has to like you can see him like put on his work pants in between panels and it's, it's a really interesting uh, version of him, and I think you would like that as well. 
I, dude, I, uh, the fact that I like discovering characters that are already well known is pretty cool because it yeah. makes me feel more like a, a new fan, and that's that's really cool. Like the uh, the new Spider Man book is doing that for me. The Peter Parker Spectacular Spider Man. They're only on issue number two, awesome. but it's a it's a it's a writer I didn't know, and apparently he's like the funniest writer. And now I get I get to discover an entirely new version of Spidey because the same dude's been writing my my main book for like five years, and I'm not the biggest fan. So I like missed having a Spider-Man book to look forward to that didn't feel like I was just waiting for a run to end. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's no disrespect to Dan Slott. It's just not how I see Spider-Man. So it's really hard to be like, this is a character I love and you just see him differently. I'll wait. That's, that's me with Green Lantern or Superman. It's just, I'm waiting. Um, and it's been a long time. So it's really cool to have a new Spidey book, new writer. And like, I'm such a Bendis guy that when mm-hmm. I don't have a Spider-Man that's Bendis, it's like, it's really tricky for me. Um, but the, the, the Spider-Man movie was like straight Bendis, man. Homecoming oh, man. felt like, it was like Ditko meets Bendis with like a kid that was born to play Spider-Man. So b- before I let Matt tell us his opinions on it, because he just saw it, and I'd be interested in hearing the two of you talk about, you know, huge fan and first time viewer of the film. Is Karen anybody? Is that a reference to anyone? I couldn't think of... I was of, wondering about that. I couldn't think of the, the, the name he so, gave the suit was anyone specific, and I couldn't pull that out. There, there's no, like, actual, like, not a relevant Karen. There's been a couple characters named Karen, but I think it was just a funny, like... Uh, what is interesting is that the voice of Karen was Jennifer Connelly, who's the wife of Paul Bettany, who's the voice of Jarvis. That is oh. true, yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's... All right. So, there we go. <laughs> So I think the Easter egg is that Jarvis and Karen are married in real yeah. life. There we go. Okay, that's fair. That's a good. That's a good enough Easter egg for me. <laughs> that's adorable. So, uh, okay, Matt, you 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 just saw it today. So, it's interesting because my background is actually similar to yours in that. Uh, so there are two Spider Mans for me. There is Bendis's Ultimate Spider Man run, and there is pre. Uh, one one more day one day more uh oh yeah i I don't brand new day but but prior to that uh where he goes through the long period of okay he is out to his immediate family uh he is living in avengers tower like having that oh i'm building a real like adult life for myself and things are going well and then all of that goes away and that's more or less when i stopped reading so for me like i think you're right this was 100 percent Bendis, 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 because it had the it had the wit. I think it it was interesting that I am not usually a fan of like high school movies. It just mm-hmm. like that level of awkward. I've never I, I don't know. Like high school wasn't awkward for me because I wasn't socially aware in <laughs> high school. So it's like I I'm sh- I know there are some people making fun of me. I don't notice it, but it worked so well because it had just enough awkward that it worked well but to bring it back around the key thing to me was this was a a movie about a failure of processes and people not looking cool like Mm -hmm. it cool wasn't the driving feel of it like uh, i have a laundry list of all the things where people were just like doing either dumb things or more accurately not succeeding not uh like Tony doesn't make the time to track uh, Peter. Okay, this is the product manager and me coming out, but he doesn't make a promotion plan for Peter. There's no, (laughs) like, okay, let's get you trained up on this, 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 and then I will make some time. You can always contact me if you need me to. And then once you're finished with all of those steps, all right, we'll give you a little bit more... uh, I guess a little more weight. We'll we'll appreciate you a little more. We'll move you towards Avengerhood. In part, it was a movie about that lack of mentorship and the fact that the mentors weren't as cool or perfect as they could have been. More powerful. It, yeah, like there was no Uncle Ben. Like yes. it, it, effectively, the Uncle Ben was Tony, which I was scared about, but then I loved. Like the mentorship being a figure, it actually adds to Tony's arc as much as it starts Spider-Man because mm-hmm. he went from I'm a weapons dealer to I'm an Avenger to I'm responsible for the Avengers to I made a mistake and now Civil War to oh my God, what have I done to can I help this kid to I can't help this kid. Like we've had a really cool <laughs> journey of like Downey Jr. just being charmingly fucking up. And that's like an yes. amazing way to tell a story. And 
What's funny is when you started talking, I thought you meant Tony Revolori, who plays Flash Thompson. I was like, why would he <laughs> want to follow Peter around? Like, what are you talking about? Like, what a weird move. Oh, Tony Stark. Um, but I, I also liked that in that same tone, no one really cared about Peter Parker uh, when he ran away, except for in passing, which is so real life. Like, it always bothered me when there'd be, like, a character that'd be like, I'm going to figure out his secret. Like, if there's a dweeby kid in class, you're like, I bet he's just doing some weird shit. Like, that, they made that <laughs> point. And then, like, I love that the adults weren't dumb. Like, mm-hmm. Michael Keaton oh, yeah. hears a voice, and it sounds like a voice, and then puts two and two together. Like, that's how a secret identity should be. It shouldn't just be like, it's a good thing everyone around me is half-dense, because otherwise they'd realize I was in D.C., New York, and have the voice of Spider-Man. Right. Like, I love that. That works for me so well. It felt like it wasn't... Uh, forced incompetence. It was never forced competence. It was uh, it was a profoundly real story about people like being okay at what they do and having moments of fuck ups and moments of things working for them. And right in that range, instead of the plot forcing them to one end of the range or the other. I need to give credit while we're talking about real to Wonder Woman for hmm. perhaps my favorite chemistry scene. In a comic movie, Chris Pine and Gal Gadot on that boat is yeah. like, oh, it's, man. it's like eating your favorite meal while being just the right temperature while like basking. Like it was, <laughs> it was just, it was like the most comfortable scene of just like, look at these two perfect specimens of humanity charming the pants off each other and then later charming the pants off each other. Like I really, like that was so natural and the writing was so good because it, it, Gal Gadot, I want to give full credit for being the most intelligent, naive portrayal. Because naivete and dumbness are different. And that's what I was so worried about with Wonder Woman is that they wouldn't get how beautifully naive she is to our culture while being a brilliant woman. And, like, that's a hard line to walk. And that's why I was so impressed with Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot, like, combined because... Every single character had an arc. Every single character was smart, but no one knew more or less than they should have, which is kind of what we're saying about Spider-Man, but on a scale of, like, Amazonian gods. Like, right. what? All, how do you even begin to write that? How do you go, like, you know, I bet this would feel natural. Like, the thing about the books and the thing about, like, you know, like, reproduct- like the sins of the flesh, like, all of that was so funny, but also gave you such a beautiful character arc for, the like, you know, what they represented, like, Brilliant writing. Um, yeah. So, like, Wonder that, Woman. No, no, me I a have to interrupt. Of... I have to interrupt. That Please. wasn't written. Oh that yeah, no, no, I, that was, was improv. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I that, but that's also that's testament insane. to writing to a point where you know the character and then yes. letting trusting your actors. Like, there's there's still writing and improv because they've written the character so fully that the actors can go like, oh, this is who I am. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I just I really love that scene and it stands out in a in a very crowded superhero marketplace. Right. And I I think I while I liked that scene, my favorite I think was them dancing. Oh, I love that. I yes. think that yep. was a sweeter, more charming moment. Like th- there was a, there's a there's an Encino man quality to the the boat scene that yep. I'm like, you know, okay, I expected that, but the the dancing one was much more like two cultures meeting to me than Yeah. Um, I don't know if, like, you know what... I don't know if I can sleep next to you because you're a woman. This was, that's not dancing. Oh, no, that's dancing. Don't make fun of how we dance. And then, like, getting into a whole thing. And then, like, they also had the guy singing. And it was... it That one was more picturesque and more, mm-hmm. um... More forced. But I felt that one was warmer and more, aww versus the other one was just like yeah this is like two weird people who like don't speak the same language meeting each other and being like should i sleep next to you it's cold yeah well i feel like that's to me that to me that's always like wonder woman like i was always like it'd be so weird to be that powerful and meet people like that to me is just like what would that even be like right um so i i just yeah i really dug uh while we're on spider-man i really dug that scene of wonder woman um but in Spider-Man, I loved how the attention to detail really allowed for the characters to be funny. Like, the comedy came from a lot of, like, very... Like, the tiger mascot was so funny. Oh, yeah. Me. Oh, yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> what was that? Like, the tiger ran by, like, two or three times without ever being referenced. It just happened. And, like, that's so... Like, that type of humor I didn't think we'd see in a movie like Spider-Man. Like, that was so funny. 
That script was so tightly written, so much, so many moments of just absolute humor and not being afraid to, like, have it drag out. The scene with Happy in the bathroom, that yeah. was oh, just, they, they were willing to have that kind of perfect, like, indie movie humor. That was an indie Fa- movie mashed with yeah. a superhero movie. And Favreau oh, did dude, such a good 100%. job, too. Like Favreau And Hannibal so Burris, yeah. the gym teacher, <laughs> Hannibal Burris being like, yeah, oh, that was it? you know. Yeah, yeah that's Hannibal Burris. <laughs> yeah, he's a future of the state now, but they say I gotta show it, so whatever. Like yeah. there were so many jokes that were like and the and the uh the teacher being like, We can't have we can't lose a student on a field trip, not again. Yeah. Like there were so many jokes that were just out of place for that genre that nailed it. And hey, MJ. Did. Everything that MJ did was perfect. Yeah. And then the reveal at the end that she was MJ. Oh my god. Oh yeah, and I loved uh I loved Donald Glover. Hey man, you need to get better at this part of the job. Like, Dude. like he's not even mad. He's just like, I'm more like put out by this. I'm just disappointed in this being the guy that caught me, bro. Like, yeah. what do you t- like? So the cool thing about that scene for me was the fact that Donald Glover is one of the reasons Miles Morales exists, mm-hmm. and Donald Glover wanted to play Spider-Man, and it was early Twitter, so the campaign for Donald for Spider-Man allowed the big reveal of Miles Morales to be as big as it was. So they cast Donald Glover to play the uncle of the man who would one day become Prowler while holding a car with the license plate Ultimate Spider-Man Comics number one. If you look at the license plate, it's USC01, which is the first appearance of Miles Morales, and he's playing Aaron Davis, who's the uncle of Miles Morales. So Donald Glover plays a character who he influenced the creation of in four different ways while talking to Spider-Man, holding an Easter egg in his hand. Wow. Yeah. Deep fucking cuts! (laughs) Uh, And and the fact that there's a throwaway line about the Prowler in the heist scene, in the scene right before Spider-Man's like, if you're going to shoot at somebody, shoot at me. Aaron Davis casually mentions, like, oh, do you have that climbing gear? Like, he mentions the Prowler's climbing gear in the scene as a tossaway line. Like, that movie was just sexy, man. I loved the Shocker. Oh, yes. both of them. They were so good. And uh, That actor who played him in the end, I can't remember his name. The uh, Bo- Bokeem Woodbine? Oh, my God. I love him in so many things. He's such he's, a good actor. I loved him as the Michael Shocker. He's a Michael Rooker. <laughs> yeah, he's a Michael Rooker. He's, yeah, I remember him from Ray. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He's so good in that movie. Um, but I loved him as the shocker. He's just like, didn't know this shit would work, but like, okay. And just like beating the crap. I was like, that's awesome. Like that to me is the shocker. It's just like, well, I have a thing and uh, I'm a criminal. Therefore, two plus two equals money. And here, I I, like, here I am. Yeah, I was yeah, like, dude. you're the man. <laughs> and the fact that this movie had like six villains and never felt overstuffed. And the yeah. fact that it sets up the universe so well while still tiling the Marvel. Like that's, that is... That is a testament to a well-oiled machine working at the height of its powers. You know right. what I mean? Like the Scorpion yeah. and Shocker and Vulture. And I loved Vulture. I thought Vulture was great. I loved the the frill on his bomber jacket. Oh, B.A.B., yeah. the, the old Vulture collar. It was, it was great. Like that. And just they made his name make sense. Mm-hmm. He's a I... Vulture. He's picking the bones of the dead. And I was like, oh, that's so good. It's better than what's in the comics for the Vulture. Oh, just being absolutely. an old dude with a weird suit. You know, like, this was so much more well thought out and added layers to characters that they didn't previously have. He was, the scene of him standing across the warehouse with Peter in his old outfit, where he's overpowering him because he's a kid from across the room, yeah. is like... That's that's Michael Keaton, man. Like I was like literally acting oppressively from eight hundred feet away while toying with Spider Man while calling his wings forward, which is a great Green Goblin nod. Like oh, yeah, it was just yeah. so right. And I loved just the, the beginning scene with him, you know, being the, the contractor and then like punching the, the smart ass guy who like said bullshit to him. Like that's a better way of making you feel for a villain than just being a pretty boy like they do with Loki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Loki's written in a very interesting way because he's not fully like Tom Hiddleston. Loki's really cleverly written, but he has to be in the right scene for the character to work. Like, Tom Hiddleston has it down, and the writers have it down, but if he's in the wrong environment, it feels off because of how specific it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, he's the god of mischief. You can't just put him in, like, a kid's, like, uh, like playground. You gotta make sure he's able to do mischief that feels appropriate for the character. And the thing about Michael Keaton's Joker was... They only used him right. They only Joker put him in the right environment. Oh, sorry, Vulture. I also love the Joker. Uh, no, but the Vulture <laughs> was put in the environment to be like, 
a foil for Spider-Man while being under Tony Stark, while being this level of street villain that kept Spider-Man grounded. Like, the way they use the, uh, my, my favorite comic cover of all time is Amazing Spider-Man number 33. And that's the one of him holding up the rubble, like the Ditko cover. Mm. The, the way they use that with the vulture, and he like then they do the reflection thing that reflects back the Ditko half-face. Right. And the way that whole scene plays out, like that was a perfect way to use a street-level villain and set up the power and responsibility without saying the line we've all heard a hundred fucking times. Like, we didn't hear God, that line. What? Nope. Not once. Didn't need to, which I, I, I appreciated. Unlike and... the Andrew Garfield one where they danced around it in both movies, this one just didn't need it. Like, yeah. when they were like, I love Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man, but the writers didn't know how to write him, so they kept being like, but if you have a lot of strength and feel responsible, I mean, not responsible, don't say the word responsibility. Like, I felt like the whole movie, they were just dancing around catchphrases. Yeah, and speaking of street level, my favorite version of that was, hey, you're Spider-Man, right? Mm -hmm. Do a (laughs) backflip. That was so good. I love that montage. Like, that normal guy montage. I love that. And he was like, that's pretty cool, man. Whose bike is this? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that was so a kid being a superhero and not knowing what to do about it. We had the best version of Wonder Woman I think we could have ever gotten, and we got the best Spider-Man to date. Like, I'm really happy with this summer, to be honest. Yeah, and I'm excited for Aquaman, because I think they're... I think Jason Momoa is the right person. I watched that thing, um, that, that interesting, like... Not really biopic, but, like, look into Jason Momoa's life that some, like, uh, director did, where it's just him narrating, like, who he is and, like, how he met his wife and how he feels about his family and, like, how he lives his life. It's very interesting, and that's kind of how I picture Aquaman, is a a man who is living his life for experiences, but also who realizes the gravity of what he does and is very down-to-earth about it. And I think he will be able to relate to Aquaman in that sense to be a normal human who happens to be in a situation that he can deal with because he's smart enough to handle it, but he will have trouble adjusting between what he wants to be, which is a normal man in you know in love and with a family, right. and being the responsibility that he has but and being good at that like he can't step away from the job just because he's really good at the job right right well that's why i'm so excited for defenders um in august Mm. coming soon to a netflix near you is uh is those characters all have that like sense of responsibility and duty but they all are like kind of in their own way selfish and that'll be really fun to see how these actors who are so those characters, much like Momoa, like shape a universe together. Because right. we've gotten that in the Avengers, but it's cool to see that over eight hours on Netflix. Like you said when you were when you were talking about the trailer, bat costume, I dig it. Like yeah, that's that to me is Aquaman. Is like when it's when no one else is around to like comment on like oh sire, you know, like he could say stupid shit like that to Batman or to Wonder Woman, be like nice sandals. But like when the entirety of Atlantis is, is depending upon him, it's an entirely different voice and cadence, and he stands up straighter. You know, like he just knows that he has to put on the the business uh, fins and. Uh, I, I think Momoa will be able to do that. Well, that's one of the reasons I'm so excited for. Uh, I think this is this is out. This is news. Uh, the the Doctor Doom movie. Oh um, no, I didn't know about that. So Doctor Doom is getting a movie, uh, okay. and I think that'll be really fun to see how he interacts with people when he's not ruling his kingdom versus how he interacts with like Reed and like how he interacts with Sue. Like it's gonna be really Richards. fun to see. If they <laughs> if they make a real Doom, if they get a real like team behind it, I think Doom could be a great way to get the Fantastic Four relevant again. That'll be cool. It would uh, be interesting. And that's that's gonna be a Fox movie, right? Yeah, that's yeah. why they're making it. Wow. <laughs> uh, every, three, every three years or that goes back and there's some like, we'll make one, but uh but Doctor Doom, yeah, that's different here. Yeah. I, I'm sold. That's a great way to keep the rights and do something different. But we'll see I what mean, happens. I mean, I love I love Doctor Doom. He's one of my favorite villains. To me, Doom and Magneto are the only two successful villains I've ever come across, next to Lex Luthor. Purely because while they are ambiguous as villains, um, Doom has won. He's ruler, and right. that's what he wanted was to be in charge and be powerful. And same thing with Magneto. Magneto gets his kingdom of mutants and is king. And not that he wanted to be king, but he wanted everyone to be safe. And he has, you know, whether it be the place in the Savage Lands or uh, Asteroid M or whatever he's got, he has 
what he was working for. Same thing, I guess, kind of with Black Adam. Black Adam stops going for, like, you know, world domination once he gets Kondok. And Lex Luthor is the richest man in existence and also does everything and can buy superheroes. Like, it, it, I like the successful villains because they have different stories. It's not like Captain Cold and the Rogues Gallery from Flash where they're, like, you know, scraping by job to job or... Uh, the Joker, who literally no one can tell me what his motivation is, and I will, and I won't believe it because it's the Joker. Because anything he says to me is a lie. And yeah, I would add one to that list. Uh, mm. I'd say Venom is a successful villain because he that's thinks true. he's always right, and he's still out lethal protecting. So that is that's, true. Yeah. I mean, that's a fun one because he's so ambiguous as to his right and wrong or his own perspective, but he's still out there doing it. And like, I love that character. Right. Like Venom, Venom by definition is doing what he thinks he's doing, which is a being a hero, much like Jason Todd is being a hero, but violently. And it's not really necessarily a, a good quote unquote hero, but yeah. in Venom's mind. Yeah. I am doing the thing. I, I, I said I would be hero and I, I am hero and I may be doing it in a way that people don't like, but I am hero. And, that is and, and that's Venom. the beauty of, like, that's why I like the black suit, you know, like, because there's this beautiful, like, id and ego to Spider-Man at all times. And, like, Spider-Man's always dealing with power and responsibility. That's his entire thing. So to have the idea of him not having the responsibility while wielding even more power, and then that separating even further by going to someone that's so narcissistic and so vengeful. Like, Venom is such a great character when done right. And that's why I think Tom Hardy can, can mm -hmm. make it work. And, I'm scared as shit to not have Spider-Man involved, but having Tom Hardy wielding that kind of, like, duality of man, I'm in it. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, can't wait. Watch Bronson, and that's the perfect movie to, to sell you on Venom, is he can pull a guy who has kind of a weird break from morality doing the thing that he said he would do and also being, like, weirdly charming. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> like, that, that, all of Bronson is the best ad for Tom Hardy to play anyone. Yeah, like, Tom Hardy just... That's his real, like an hour and 45 minutes of Tom Hardy being like, I'll play the president, sure, watch Bronson. Like, it yeah. just works. <laughs> Have you seen my work in Bronson? <laughs> Why, yes! Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, sure, you can play a chameleon. Yeah, yeah, you can <laughs> play, yeah, oh, like a children's movie. Uh, Tom, we need you to play a choo-choo train that is uh, just a, is scared of heights. Have you seen my work in Bronson? Do you see that mustache? That means I'm capable of anything. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see how big but, I got? <laughs> I can play I'm a train. <laughs> Um, but I, I got to scoot uh, very soon, but I am glad you gents both enjoyed uh, Spider-Man as much as I enjoyed Wonder Woman, because that yes. means yeah. both sides are, are doing it right. Yes, both sides of the fence are happy. Also, I just made a reference to Tom Hardy being a train, and I just thought that he is now playing Thomas the Tank Engine. I mean, his name is Tom Hardy. And uh, I think that's the joke to end on. If I get... <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get much better than Bat and the Furious, but I think Tom Hardy playing Thomas the Tank Engine... Tom, the tank engine Hardy is yeah. ready. <laughs> You're welcome. Dude, I'll watch, I'll watch that movie tomorrow. Sign me up. I'm, I'm in, man. It would be easy enough to make. Like, you wouldn't have him portraying it, but you would take some of his voice lines and just take the audio and superimpose it over a Thomas the Tank Engine episode. I think the sad thing is, though, is that, like, Thomas the Tank Engine had those, like, human faces. Yep. Oh, that'd be so scary, Tom Hardy and Bronson face. <laughs> just like, and it's so many just... Bane lines would work. Like, you merely adopted the darkness. I was born. It's like him in a tunnel, like, yeah. molded by it. You just... merely, you merely made the tracks. I run on them. And it's... <laughs> I haven't seen my caboose since I was a man. Yeah. There we go. We wrote it. That one's for free. Whoever owns the rights to Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> You're welcome again, Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. How do we follow up the Batman Furious with Tom Hardy the Tank Engine? Oh, God. Anyway. I also, I, I want to give Marvel credit for hiring all the best Tom H's that are British to play their superheroes. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Tom Hiddleston, Tom Hardy, and Tom Holland are running the game. Save, save some for the rest of us. It's save. the Chris's and the Tom H's. Very specific. Yeah, it's, it's right, really yeah. strange. Oh way! Wow. Oh yeah! Well yeah, that is true. I just realized that all the all the Toms and Chris's. Oh boy! <laughs> we're out of luck, gents. Boy bands aside, uh, we're gonna let you go, and uh, I think we got bingo. I think I'm gonna call it. I think we got bingo on this podcast. I'd say that's fair. I'd say uh, now I want to end on a slightly somber note after Tom Hardy the Tank Engine. Mm -hmm. uh, anyone that's listening to this, if you read comics and if you're in pop culture and the world, you know. That it's uh, kind of a fucked up world, and the Chester Bennington today uh, yeah. left quite the mark on my on my day and soul. And uh, so, if you ever feel like 
off or just anything, 1-800-273-8255 is the suicide prevention hotline. And I think that, like, any awareness is good awareness. And I don't know, today just... No, Dude, Chester right. Bennington was our, was our childhood, man. Like, that guy, like, this affected me more than I expected. And, like, that was, like, the 2000s music wave. So I just think that if you read comics, you probably know what it feels like to be oppressed. So uh, it's a thing that's worth worth mentioning as a positive that there's always someone to, to talk to. So yeah, you can, just, always, uh, you can always message us. Yep. Also, yeah, Twitter, Instagram, like life, life we're, we're there and we, you know, like there's there's already a bond of comicdom, so we're already really to talk about something. Yes. Um, why don't you go ahead and uh, plug plug away so we can uh, have our listeners find you wherever you may be and wherever you may roam. Yeah, absolutely. I'm at uh, at C-O-Y-J-A-N-D-R-E-A-U, which is Koyjandro, a very hard to spell name, on uh, Twitter and Instagram, and I host Marvel Movie News. I am a screen junkie. I am a schmodown inner geekdom champion, and I am uh, I'm on the internet a lot. Too much, uh, one might say. I would say. Uh, but I love comics, I love movies, and I love talking to people about them, so hunt me down. Your resume is way more impressive than ours. I, th- I think I think mine just has is able to convert people to Aquaman fans. Dude, I mean, I would. That's a really tricky. Those are probably like neck and neck. Yeah, it's Aquaman you're talking about here. That and I do a great Carl impression from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. It's true. We we also just pitched Tom Hardy the Tank Engine, so we're not <laughs> short on brain cells either. We're making. Where's Zack Snyder when we need him? <laughs> Zack, make it cool. Make it so damn cool. Yes. <laughs> I just want the slow motion, like really rich and saturated colors. Yes. What, just powering down the track. No, no, no. He's going <laughs> over a bridge that's like halfway up. Just the slow motion. Oh my god, post. that's the trailer. It's it's literally just a hill with train tracks, and then you just slowly see the smoke start to rise over the hill, and it's like, Tom Hardy. It's more smoke. <laughs> Zack Snyder. Finally the train crusts. <laughs> Crest the hill, and you see Tom Hardy's face, and and it's just Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> as soon as you get like the this like a quarter eighth of a second of the face, and then it just snaps to black. But it's also the Bronson face, and he's screaming. <laughs> I, I, oh my I, god, I, a screaming Thomas the Tank Engine is the most horrifying thing I can imagine. The mustache is the front grill of the train. <laughs> We've and done the it. Movie, the movie is called. Tom Hardy, the tank engine. Yes. There's a slight rewrite, but it's Tom Hardy, the tank Tom engine. Tom Hardy as Thomas, the tank engine. The full title. <laughs> <laughs> Dawn of the rise of the planet of the Tom Hardy, the tank engine. This time, the tracks aren't on the wrong side. <laughs> Dude, it's going to be great, you guys. Yes, it's going to be really good. It is going to be great. Uh, obviously, we are the DC Detectives. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at DCD Podcast. We're on Facebook and uh soundcloud and itunes again subscribe uh give us a like we love all those uh number crunchy things both matt and i are big uh, statistics people we like those numbers so that we can find out what you all like and and do more of that and uh we love you all please don't hesitate to talk to someone if you need to uh you have the three of us as well as all the resources available to you we love you all and have a good night DC Detectives can be found on iTunes and Stitcher. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and our Instagram at dcdetectivespodcast.com. Eventually, the train started moving again, the dark of night giving way to the approaching lights of Gotham skyline. Coy headed back to his seat, us to ours. It had been good to chat with our fellow detective. The topic of street-level heroes got us thinking again, though about the dynamic duo and their place in the DC Pantheon. Maybe we should ask their opinion, whenever we get there.